0: Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Before he was sentenced to death, our Lord Jesus faced Pontius Pilate, who asked him if he was the king of the Jews. Jesus told him, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. To which Pilate quipped, What is truth? In this brief interchange, I think we see a contrast between darkness and light. Pilate, a representative of worldly power, the worldly power of Rome, who wields his power without any shred of confidence, and what is true. He's in the dark. Jesus, the incarnate, the word incarnate, God incarnate, wisdom in the flesh, unflinchingly declares that he bears witness to the truth, yet is subjected to this ignorant worldly power. So wisdom and ignorance, light and darkness come face to face. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost, that event that gave birth to the church as God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. And that phenomenon marked the setting aside, the consecrating or the calling out of a people whose distinguishing mark was the reception and indwelling of the spirit of truth. Such a people, the church, Hear God's voice, his word, because they are led by God's spirit into all truth. In contrast to Pilate, who had cynically given up on ever having confidence and knowing truth, the church's distinguishing mark is the possession and proclamation of truth. Now I mentioned Pontius Pilate to point out that cynicism regarding truth is nothing new. What does seem to be a current issue in our day is that Christians seem to have little confidence in truth. This morning, on Trinity Sunday, are we confident that Jesus' words are in fact trustworthy? But differently, is the church being led into all truth? Our first reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 8. If you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, you know that the first nine or so chapters personify wisdom, which is what we see in our reading today. Wisdom calls out to all that live, and we are given her ancient origins. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work. Now, the word created here is probably not the best translation, although it is an ancient one. The Hebrew word here used is kana, which means to get or acquire. Some translations say possess instead of create. But it's not the Hebrew words used for what we think of when we think of create. And if you've had any discussions with Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, It's likely that they've pointed this passage out to you because Christians have historically interpreted Proverbs chapter 8 as speaking of Christ. And they like to point out that since the passage says wisdom was created, Jesus therefore could not be God. But the rest of the passage lists the works of God's creation and wisdom is clearly present prior to any of it. And the early church understood this to mean that wisdom was present before anything was created. In other words, God does not create without wisdom. And if this is so, wisdom could not be a creature, a created thing, because there would be no wisdom to facilitate the creation of it. And to suppose that creation is possible without wisdom is to suppose that God created wisdom without the wisdom to create it. So the point that I'm getting at here is that God and wisdom are inseparable. It is ridiculous to think that God lacked wisdom when he created it. And this inseparability between God and wisdom is what the Apostle John was getting at in the opening verses of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The first thing I want to point out here is that this phrase, in the beginning, should not be heard as the first moment in a sequence of events. Time itself is a created thing. We know from Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created. The phrase, in the beginning, denotes eternity, or a quote-unquote time before time was ever created. The second thing is that the, this word, the word that John speaks of here, is the logos, John's audience and most Greek readers would have identified this word to mean much the same thing as the word wisdom that we read about in Proverbs. You see, in Greek philosophy, the logos was pure rationality, wisdom and knowledge. Finally, the, the apostle tells us that this word was both distinct from God, he was with God, and inseparable from God. The word was God. As difficult as this concept is, it should be no surprise to us. Remember Genesis 1, where God, who is one, created the heavens and the earth by speaking, that is, by his word? There is a distinction there in unity, a plurality in unity. John later tells us that this word, this logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. Which brings us to our gospel passage this morning. Jesus said, all that the Father has is mine. And when Jesus talked about this plurality and unity, he used the language of relationship, father and son. Fathers beget sons. This is why our creed that we say every Sunday morning says that Jesus was begotten, not made. Again, this begetting is eternal. It's outside of time. And so outside of creation, Father and Son existed. In other words, the Father has always been Father because he has always had his Son. Of course, what the Father has belongs to the Son, But what is it exactly that the Father has that also belongs to the Son? Well, we have an interesting hint in our passage. Notice that Jesus said that all that is his will be declared to his disciples. It's interesting that he says declared and not given. What this suggests is that all that the Father and the Son have can be declared It can be reported. It can be spoken. In other words, it's truth. Nothing the Father speaks through his word is less than truth. That is why Jesus told Pilate that everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And how do we hear the voice of a man who has been crucified, died, risen, and who has ascended to be with his Father? Well, you know from last week. He has sent us his Spirit of truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, he said, he will guide you into all the truth. What Jesus is giving to his disciples in this passage, the night before his crucifixion, is assurance and confidence. Essentially, he's saying this, I've said a lot of things to you over these three years. Much of it doesn't make sense. And I have a lot more for you to know and to understand. I'm not talking about academic knowledge like the scribes and Pharisees. I have something much better in mind. You have so much to learn about my Father, so much to learn about His love for you and the entire creation. But there's no way you can comprehend all that I desire to share with you all at once. Things don't make sense right now. And trust me, there are days ahead when things will even make less sense. But remember this, I have only desired, to, I have only desired your love. I have only desired to share with you the depths of my Father's heart, and he has only desired for you to share with him the depths of your hearts. This is only the beginning. The Father and I will share with you our spirit, who will remind you, who will teach you all these things in due time. So be assured that even as you go to a martyr's death, you are in me As I am in you, even as you face persecution, opposition, and misunderstanding, you can be confident that you are being led into all truth. Do not second guess what you know to be true. I love you. I have died for you. You are forgiven, and I am preparing a place for you. Now I know what you're thinking. Father Ben, this all sounds great, but it sure doesn't seem like the Spirit is leading his church into all truth these days. Instead, it seems like we have been led into multiple and disparate truths. To be honest, Father Ben, I'm sort of with Pilate on this one. Well, to this I say you're right. It sure seems to be the case that the truth is unattainable when so many faithful Christians disagree so passionately on so many important theological issues. And every Christian is just sure that Jesus agrees with them. But is this true? What is truth? Friends, this is precisely where God's Word is challenging us this morning. If what Jesus said is true, that he will give his church his spirit, who will lead us into all truth, then we are at a crossroads, aren't we? We must draw a conclusion about the moment we're in. Are there divisions in the church because God's word has failed? Or for some other reason? If what Jesus has said is true, the cynicism of Pilate is not an option for us. And nor is the Oprah path of supposing everyone has their own customized truth. So then, what do we do? We must remember that what Jesus said to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You and I are in the same situation the disciples were in. Just like them, we have access to the Father's self-revelation in the Scriptures, especially in the incarnation of his Son. And just like them, we cannot possibly remember and make sense of it all at one time. But just like them, he has given us his Spirit, who declares to us all that the Father has given the Son. That is all truth. I ask you this morning, are you confident that Jesus' words are true this morning? By now I trust that you have filled in a few blanks. No doubt you have thought about those disagreements in the church that have bothered you the most over the last few years. And perhaps you're thinking or hearing me imply some specific issue or argument that you suppose I either agree with or disagree with but I assure you that is not the case. I think the text this Trinity Sunday is simply challenging us on a much deeper level than that before we ever get to specifics. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has promised to lead us into all truth. I'm not saying we don't have disagreements and differences. That is to be expected. Even healthy, But when these differences cause us to doubt God's promise to lead the church into all truth, well, friends, a little leaven has entered the lump. For sure, we must have the humility to suppose that we could always be wrong. We must be teachable and open to correction. But we must also be confident in this promise. Don't let the world cause you to second-guess the truth our triune God has ever already led you to. Always return to the Son who is revealing to us His Father by His Holy Spirit. Meditate on His Word. Let the voice of the Good Shepherd be the only one you hear. If He leads you into all truth, so has He led many others before you. Always look back to make sure you haven't strayed from the path, and let the Spirit of truth always remind you of the promises of the Son, who always points us to the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for the confidence and the assurance that what you said is true. That you have given us your spirit to lead us into all truth. And let us not falter or waver supposing the truth is unattainable when you have clearly promised to lead us into it. Help us, Father. Help us to believe and help our unbelief. Help us to always trust you and to hear your voice, to hear your word. Help us to have humility, but also confidence that you are with us and that you are leading us into all truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.